As Joe Biden begins to assemble his cabinet, the incoming administration's approach is becoming clearer. Incoming Secretary of State Tony Blinken, in a statement presented in choral style with 15 career diplomats who looked exactly like himself, outlined some of their joint ideas. The choral group, which calls itself the Blinkens, sang, quote, When the Obama administration left office, the Middle East was in flames and China was taking American jobs while our citizens died of despair. Trump and his cronies ruined all that hard work and are leaving behind them a chaos of peace deals and a Chinese Communist Party with a big scary frown on its giant communist face. Meanwhile, the stock market is soaring to record heights, threatening an era of reckless prosperity after Trump's vaccines cure Wu flu. We have got to bring our nation back to the sort of multilateral, cooperative, lead-from-behind diplomacy that will keep the communists happy while Americans return to their proper state of suicidal anguish amidst endless foreign wars. We very much hope to hit the ground running from day one and remain on the ground with our faces buried in blood and sand for the entire four years we're in office. Unquote. Biden's new energy czar, John Kerry XII, says he too wants to get right to work shaving a hundredth of a degree off the average global temperature by returning the United States to the Stone Age. Kerry spoke with his wife, Lovey, in a phone call to Martha's Vineyard, where Kerry owns a $12 million oceanfront mansion that would be consumed by rising water levels within the year if even a single thing he believed were true. Kerry told Lovey he plans to enter immediate negotiations with the clouds to have them cover the sun more often. He says the president of Iran has offered to help with those talks for a mere $200 billion in small, unmarked bills to be dropped into Iran on a pallet in the dead of night. What could possibly go wrong? Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. All right, the vast right-wing conspiracy known as Clavenon continues. Please go on the YouTube channel and subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. Uh, you'll want all that fresh content we'll be sending out, especially over the Thanksgiving weekend, because otherwise you might be talking to your relatives. You certainly don't want that. So ring the bell. I will deliver it personally uh, to your house in a small miniature sleigh with a tiny reindeer uh, who you can have for Thanksgiving. Also, leave a comment, and if the comment is sufficiently moronic, we will read it on the air because it will just fit seamlessly in with the rest of the commentary. Uh, we have one today from Dante Alighieri, who I guess is back from his trip. Uh, he says, a thousand episodes later, and the entire Omniverse still doesn't know if there are E's in Claven. Yesterday was my thousandth show. Nobody told me. <laughs> Not one, you know, we, we have a, a staff of thousands here. It takes, you don't know this, but it takes about 50, 60,000 people to put on the show. Not one of them mentioned to me that it was my thousandth show. If I divide that uh, by four a week, that's um, close to five years of shows. <laughs> God, my life, my life. Uh, all right. For approximately 172 years, uh, I've been banging a drum about how patriots should take back the culture. 
And I'm delighted, obviously, that effort is finally starting. And I think this moment is a perfect illustration of why it matters so much. Let's just for a second, let's accept the results of the election. I'm sure the vote was distorted by Democrat cheating, but let's say it still gives us a general idea of where the country stands, which means that voters rejected a president who gave us a great economy, who began to deal with immigration chaos, who mobilized a successful effort to create vaccines during a pandemic, who kept the stock market soaring even through hard times, who finally moved the ball on Middle East peace and corrected our approach to China and did not start a single new war, and they replaced him with an idiot who is certain to bring back the failed policies of the past. Now, assuming this is what they did, and I think it is what they did, they did it for a reason. They did it because they hated Trump's personality. Now, this is so irrational that many conservatives can't believe it actually happened, but it should be the other way around. It's so irrational that they should believe it happened. Humanity is not a rational race. It never was, and there's no reason to think it ever will be. Feelings don't care about your facts. Humans see situations and make moral decisions about them and fill in the reasoning later. That's why the moral sentiments of a people have to be shaped to be in line with good values, with freedom and with responsibility, with family, and especially with faith. The left understands this. They get it. They know that men can be talked into acting like women. Women can be talked into living absolutely miserable lives to satisfy the moral worldview of a small group of angry lesbians. Voters can be made to reject great policy over petty personal concerns. An entire population can learn to believe that slavery is better than freedom. That happened in the Soviet Union. God's reality remains the same. Men are still men and women are still women. Policy is more important than personality. Freedom is still better than slavery. But we've been taught to live with a distorted view of things to serve the elite classes and spread their power. And when we make decisions, we make them on the basis of those feelings. This can happen, it has happened, it does happen. It's what the culture does. Culture shapes the sentiments of a people. To paraphrase James Joyce, it forges the uncreated conscience of a race. For 60 years, we've let the left forge that conscience into lunacy. We have to begin to reshape it to God's moral reality and to God's will. If you are running a business, one of the things you've got to know about is HR. You have to know what it stands for. It stands for human resources, and those are the folks who guide you on how to treat your employee, and HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and to get a good HR manager, it can cost you $70,000 a year in salary. That's why you want Bambi, which is spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. For some reason, it was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager through Bambi to craft HR policy and maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager will be available by phone, email, or real-time chat. And again, 99 bucks a month. Go to Bambi.com slash Clavin right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Clavin. It's spelled bam to the B-E-E dot com slash Clavin, which is spelled clay to the uh, V. Just don't put any E's in it, all right? You know, just to show you how bad this is, I mean, I don't want to depress you, but still, the, the Media Research has, uh, Center has released a report. They do these great reports where they actually go out and try and find out how much power the media has had. 
And, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, they rigged the election and the Dominion software and all this stuff. But really, I mean, Jeremy got it right. Jeremy, uh, the God King, got it right on his Enough podcast where he said it's really the media. It's something that happened right in front of us. And the MRC basically proves it. They said to measure the true effect of the media's censorship on the election, the Media Research Center asked the polling company to survey 17 150 Biden voters in seven swing states, six of which were called for Biden. We tested these voters' knowledge of eight news stories, all important topics that our ongoing analysis had shown the liberal news media had failed to cover properly. The lack of information proved crucial. One of every six Biden voters we surveyed, 17%, said they would have abandoned the Democratic candidate had they known the facts about one or more of these news stories, a shift of this magnitude would have changed the outcome in all six of the swing states won by Biden, and Donald Trump would have comfortably won a second term as president. They buried Biden's bad news. The media's censorship of Biden's scandals had the strongest impact on this year's election. According to our survey, more than one-third of Biden voters were unaware of the serious allegations brought against the Democratic nominee by Tara Reid. She's the one who said he basically uh, assault, sexually assaulted her. Uh, and I, you know, you wonder why I kept harping on that Tara Reid story. It was because it was such an obvious case of censorship, such an obvious double standard after the way they covered the charges against Brett Kavanaugh by a woman who couldn't prove that she had ever met him. And here was a woman who worked for Joe Biden, who had told friends that what he'd done at the time. It was a completely m far more reliable story dumped. I think the New York Times took 19 days before they covered it and buried it on the inside of the Easter Sunday edition. Had a big effect. They high, they uh, Even more Biden voters said they were unaware of the financial scandal envelop enveloping Biden and his son Hunter. That was just absolutely censored by Twitter, Facebook. It was ignored by the liberal media. Uh, and the ticket's left-wing ideology was another issue barely mentioned because they don't know it's a left-wing ideology. They hid Trump's successes. The liberal media also prevented many Biden voters from learning about record-breaking positive economic news in the months leading up to the election. Yesterday, the Dow hit 30,000 for the first time. Uh, just an amazing, an amazing statement of confidence and optimism in this time when all our, so many governors are misbehaving, locking things down, trying to kill the economy, but the people know that they can make this work. The vaccines are coming because of Donald Trump's war, Operation Warp Speed. Good things are happening. They hid this stuff from the voters. Uh, a third of Biden's voters said they did not know about Operation Warp Speed and the, the, what the administration had done. Putting it all together, looking at all eight of these issues together, our poll found that a total of 17% of Biden voters told us they would have changed their vote if they had been aware of one or more of these important stories. This would have moved every one of the swing states into Trump's column, some by a huge margin. It would have changed the election. That's what happened. That, you know, I mean, other things happened, of course. Other things happened. There were too many mail-in votes. There was too much malfeasance. The Democrats always cheat. I'm sure they cheated more, but that's what's happened. And so when you wonder, you know, I'm, I'm literally getting letters going, why do you keep talking about the media? Because that's where the, the culture is being, that's where the battle is being fought. Now, listen, I, I got to tell you something. <laughs> So some of you guys out there are going to need to have a strategy to deal with the next four years. Joe Biden is going to be president. Joe Biden is going to be president for the next four years, if he lives. I mean, that's that's another thing. And if he remains sentient, which those, those are actually big questions. But the Democrats are going to be in office in the White House for the next four years. They're going to bring in the guys from the Obama administration. Now, 
some of what they're going to be doing is going to change because Trump changed the game. He changed the game with China. He changed the game with the Middle East. I mean, I, they're, they're not going to throw all those things away because things will blow up in their faces and they'll look like the idiots they are if they do. So they're not going to do all that stuff, but they're going to bring back the lead from behind the UN. So, you know, all that stuff is coming back. You're going to need a strategy, a personal strategy to get through your life. You know, this is one of the things when I talk to liberals, when I talk to leftists and they tell me, oh, Trump is a Nazi, you know, Trump is, he's a Nazi, he's Hitler. He's a, I would always say to them, how's your life doing? Well, my life is fine. Things are going great. Things are good at work. Marriage is good. Everything's fine. And I'd say, well, you know, is that really what life was like for people under the Nazis? I mean, obviously we should all have a conscience for the world, but part of our conscience should, for the world should be informed by the life we are living. And we have an obligation to live that life. We have an obligation to the God who created us to live that life with joy and to live into the person that God made us to be. You know, one of the things that Martin Luther King Jr. said that I've always thought was absolutely ridiculous, and there's always quoted, they always quote this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I thought, that's absurd because there's always justice, injustice somewhere. There's always injustice somewhere. And yes, you should have a conscience for the world, but are you going to walk around miserable because somewhere there's injustice when, in fact, you could be doing something really important like raising your kids, like making a beautiful home, like you know doing a good job at work, that all the things that we have to do, you are gonna need a strategy to deal with the fact that this is gonna be frustrating. Lots of good stuff is coming down the pike. I mean, I think if, if, if we pay attention to Georgia, if people don't abandon Georgia because they think that Donald Trump's fight to prove him that he was that the election was stolen is more important, if we keep the Senate, a lot of good things could come down the pike. A lot of real big victories in the House. I think four seats flipped in the House for the Republicans in California alone. That's amazing. So you're going to need a strategy to pick your fights and live your life. Because here's the thing. What I just read you from the MRC about the media, that's a big success for them. That's a big win for them. That's where they really won. They didn't win on policy, right? Because people rejected their policy. That's the reason they lost so many House seats is because people rejected leftist policy. They rejected Trump's personality and they rejected uh, the left's policy, which was very wise of them, right? But the media thing is a big win. And when they have a success like that, it's, they're going to keep it up. It's already happening. Facebook and Twitter are stepping up censorship, and, and the New York Times is cheering them on. YouTube suspended One America News Network, which is really for a week, because they said something about um, uh, that there was a, a guaranteed cure for COVID or something like this. They basically made a statement, which the YouTube, in their wisdom, decided was misinformation about uh, the flu, because we know so much about this flu at, at YouTube that they really know who they should censor. But, you know, they took Michael Knowles and uh, Candace Owens had a video on where they basically said women are men. And that was taken down. Uh, women aren't men. Men aren't women. Um, and that was taken down as hate speech, you know. All through the country, K through 12 schools have started teaching racism. They're teaching anti-white white racism, which they believe is the cure for anti-black racism, which, of course, it's not. It's just hatred. You know, <laughs> These people, some of these people, uh, m most of these people are doing this without any sense of their own evil, which as C.S. Lewis said is the worst kind of tyranny. They do it because they think that this is the right thing to do. They do it because they think they know the difference between facts and opinions when actually they get the two things confused all the time. You know, Barack Obama, I, I actually am enjoying Barack Obama is back, you know, back in town promoting uh, his book. Uh, why I'm so disappointed in America. 
Um, and <laughs> I think that's what it's called. America, you're not good enough, something like this. Uh, and one of the things I really like about Obama and really enjoy about him is he's almost the poster child for a self-satisfied idiot elite. You know, I mean, it's not that he's stupid. He's not a stupid man. It's not that he's untalented. He's a very talented politician. Uh, it's that he is wrapped in a bubble of, that's made of both narcissism and uh, accepted elite opinions. And wrapped in that bubble, you think you know what is what. And, you know, this is, this is how communism was uh, endorsed so long in the Soviet Union, where these elites, you know, people don't remember the stuff. You should read the book Witness. People don't remember one of the reasons they hated Richard Nixon so much. One of the reasons the press hated Richard Nixon so much, they finally managed to bring him down with the Watergate scandal. They hated him because he was right about communism. He was right about communism and they hated him for it because while the elites were going, no, no, this is the wave of the future. We've seen the future and it works. Communism is really good. It's really, the Soviet Union is a new thing. Oh, it's wonderful. It's all. And he was saying, you know, I think that maybe uh, Whitaker Chambers is right and there's a spy in the State Department. He said, no, no, he's one of us. He can't be. Nixon was right. That's why they hated him. So they live in that bubble where they think they're doing the right thing when they destroy anybody who pierces the bubble. So Obama is like the poster child for this. So he's going out and he's telling, and he's talking about now, what are, what's the problem with white people? Because if there's one thing Barack Obama is an expert on, it's racism. He's a racist. And this is what he says. It's cut six. You've seen created in Republican politics, this sense that, you know, white males are victims. Like they're, they're the ones who are like under attack, which obviously doesn't, jibe with both history and data and economics. But that's a sincere belief. You know, that's been internalized. That's a story that's being told. And, and how you unwind that is going to be not something that, that is done right away. It's going to take some time. So it's really interesting he said that because Shelby Steele, who is one of the best writers on race in the country, a brilliant, brilliant man and an excellent writer. If you haven't read his books, you really should. Uh, he wrote a piece yesterday, the day before, in the Wall Street Journal, talking about the inauthenticity of the Black Lives Matter movement. He says there's an elephant in the room. It's simply that we blacks aren't much victimized anymore. Today, we're free to build a life that won't be stunted by racial persecution. Today, we're far more likely to encounter racial preferences than racial discrimination. Moreover, we live in a society that generally shows us goodwill, a society that has isolated racism as its most unforgivable sin. This lack of victimization amounts to an absence of malice that profoundly threatens the victim-focused black identity, which Black Lives Matter is basically uh, taking advantage of. So Obama is complaining because whites are being picked on, which they are, that they're stealing his identity. That's what he's saying. They're stealing his oppressed identity. And the fact is, in America, the living truth is people are not oppressed. This is not oppression. It's not oppression if you're free to fight back. I mean, it's not oppression if you can stand up and say, I don't agree with you and I'm not going to do this stuff. And that's one of the things we're fighting for. What we're fighting for is the right to do this. I have to play one more Obama clip uh, when he talks about the fact that uh, many Hispanics moved over into the Trump column, uh, a substantial number in some places moved over to the Trump column this election. Here's his analysis of that. It's cut five. People were surprised about uh, a lot of Hispanic folks who voted for Trump. But there's a lot of evangelical Hispanics who, you know, the fact that Trump says racist things about Mexicans or puts uh, detainees, uh, you know, uh, uh, undocumented workers in cages, 
they think that's less important than the fact that, you know, he uh, supports their views on, you know, gay marriage or abortion. So they put God over identity politics, which is a big, big problem for Obama. These guys are coming back. These guys are coming back into office. And Obama, I use him as the poster child, but he only represents what they're all going to be saying. Uh, Let's say, you know, we were joking about John Kerry being climate czar. Let's listen to what he says. Cut 10. 57 years ago this week, Joe Biden and I were college kids when we lost the president who inspired both of us to try to make a difference. A president who reminded us that here on earth, God's work must truly be our own. President Joe Biden will trust in God, and he will also trust in science to guide our work on earth to protect God's. You haven't got the knack of being idly rich. You see, you should do like me, just snooze and dream, dream and snooze. The pleasures are unlimited. Oh, they're bringing back God by fixing the weather. Uh, and we're led by John Kerry in our prayers to science. You're going to have to get used to this, folks. I mean, this is going to be the real way. If you can't if you can't stand it, don't listen to it. Don't do it. Don't let your life become angry. Seriously, do not let your life become a life of rage because that is letting politics dominate your life. So if you're like me, you're probably kind of an innocent when it comes to your computer. You go on, you think everything is fine. Not so much. Bad guys are out there. They want to steal your identity and the holidays are when you're going to be shopping online a lot, browsing. You can expose your personal info. So get LifeLock Identity Theft Protection because not all websites are on the nice list and you'll want to know if your personal information has been potentially exposed or found on the dark web. This holiday season, you could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit and bank statements. With LifeLock, you have the leader in identity theft protection. They will help you detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. And if they detect your information being used in their network, they'll send you an alert. I've gotten them. They're really helpful. And if you become a victim of identity theft, this is the big one. LifeLock can help you restore your identity easier than you can on your own. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can help you feel protected this holiday season. The best sale of the year is happening now. Save up to 30% off your first year at lifelock.com slash Clavin. That's 30% off at lifelock.com slash Clavin. The sale ends November 30th, so get Kraken. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You're probably wondering. I just knew that was on your mind. We have to talk about Thanksgiving. Obviously, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. It will be a long, Clavenless weekend. Let me just start. You know, one of my favorite moments in the Trump administration was the moment when he stepped out on the balcony after he got uh, the Wu flu and took off his mask and to the chorus of these squealing media cowards. No, 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 you have to be afraid. You have to be afraid. He said, don't let it dominate your life. No, we got to dominate your life. You have to let it dominate. Please be afraid. So, so now Thanksgiving is coming. And, you know, I want to I be real about this. If you're gathering with people in a small enclosed area, there's a risk, an, an increased risk of getting this flu. And, and so you have to, you make your own decisions. Here is the media uh, from our friends at Gravy, and here is the media's coverage of this year's Thanksgiving. So help me. Uh, this is cut two. Uh, this Thanksgiving is going to suck a bit. This is not some existential reality. Cancel your plans if you absolutely do not need to travel somewhere. Travel by car if you must travel. I don't like it to be any number. 
I like it to be keep it to your immediate household. Eat all of the mashed potatoes by yourself. That's what I'm going to do. Limit the number of people. Do it outside and wear your mask. If you go over to a friend's house, mask up the whole time you're not eating or drinking. If you're a college student, shelter in place for at least seven days once you arrive. Separation should be the norm. Avoiding direct contact, including handshakes and hugs. Speak softer because louder voices shouting, screaming, actually singing spreads the virus. You can't test your way out of or into safety here. You can't test your way into Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, you just can't test your way to that table. That's just not the way. You can't test your way into Thanksgiving dinner. Having one person serve all the food so multiple people are not handling the serving utensils. This is a flu that is more contagious than the normal flu, I think much more contagious, but it has a death rate about, it's really now about the same. I mean, we don't really know because we don't know how many people have it. They estimate that our tests are revealing about 10% of the people who have it. So really so many more people have it. And that means the death rate is much uh, lighter. So think about this as I read what I'm about to read. Every year, the Wall Street Journal runs uh, uh, Thanksgiving. They run the Chronicle of the Plymouth Colony as one of their op-eds, as one of their editorials. This is uh, William Bradford's. It's uh, it's William Bradford, the governor of the Plymouth Colony's account, uh, as written down by Nathaniel Morton. And he says, this is their account of having landed. He says, being now past the vast ocean, and keep those media voices in your mind as I read this, being now past the vast ocean, this is 1620, being now past the vast ocean and a sea of troubles before them and expectations, they had now no friends to welcome them, no inns to entertain or refresh them, no houses or much less towns to repair unto, to seek for succor. And for the season, it was winter. And they that know the winters of the country know them to be sharp and violent, subject to cruel and fierce storms, dangerous to travel to known places, much more to search unknown coasts. Besides, what could they see but a hideous and desolate wilderness full of wild beasts and wild men? And what multitudes of them there were, they then knew not. For which way soever they turned their eyes, save upward to heaven, they could have but little solace or content in respect of any outward object. For summer being ended, all things stand in appearance with a weather-beaten face, and the whole country full of woods and thickets represented a wild and savage hue. If they looked behind them, there was a mighty ocean which they had passed, and was now as a main bar or gulf to separate them from all civil parts of the world. Here's Heather McDonald writing about this. Nearly half the 102 occupants of the Mayflower died in their first year of settlement at Plymouth, sometimes at a rate of three a day. Such a mortality rate was predictable. The earlier outpost at Jamestown, founded in 1607, lost 66 of its original 104 settlers in its first nine months. By 1609, following the also predictable loss at sea of a ship coming to resupply the colony, starvation at Jamestown had grown so dire that residents dug corpses from their graves to eat any remaining flesh, later reported the colony's first president in 1625. Other early settlement casualties included the outpost of Roanoke, which simply disappeared. Overall, for every six would-be colonists who ventured across the Atlantic, one survived, according to one estimate. Trying to establish a new life in the new world was most definitely not safe, and yet the voyagers kept coming, driven by something beyond safetyism, religious zeal, ambition, passion for discovery, the desire for greater freedom. 
Those Americans who later spread across the continent, whether as solo explorers or in wagon trains, likewise eschewed a stay safe philosophy. Today, Heather McDonald says, today we are strangling American society in order to avoid a risk of death so infinitesimal for the majority of Americans that it would not have registered in any possible cost benefit analysis governing both notable American endeavors and quotidian activities over the last four centuries. The fear, the fear is the problem. And again, I'm not telling you to take risks. Obviously, the first thing we have to do is save the Claven. That should be a national priority. Those are the things you have to decide for yourself. You have to decide, you know, have you got comorbidities? Uh, you know, is this going to be a problem? Are you going to be seeing somebody who has, you know, of course, you should act sensibly. But the chorus of terror that is coming out of the mouths of people like Jake Tapper is an American shame. It's an American shame. And when I think of the of Donald Trump, look, I, I, I have to be honest with you about this because I'm, I'm worthless if I'm not honest. Donald Trump said a lot of stupid things. And I wish, I mean, all of us wished. I, I don't know anybody who liked Trump who didn't wish he would sometimes have kept his mouth shut and that it, it hurt him in the things he said. He said a lot of stupid things about the uh Wu flu when it started. So did a lot of people on the left, including Nancy Pelosi and all the people who said, come out, don't worry about it. You know, Bill de Blasio, they all did. But when he stood up on that balcony and took off that mask, that was, in fact, an American moment. That is the moment that will represent America if America remains America. And the little people, the Jake Tappers of the world, the little CNN news people, those little women who come on your TV and say, no, no, eat your mashed potatoes by yourself. That's what I'll be doing. Those people are the kind of Lilliputians who try to tie the giant Gulliver down. They are trying to keep America at some level where they can understand it because their minds are small, their hearts are small, their spirits are small. And the thing is, you get that way, you know, because you don't look at the world as it is. You don't look at the world, you look at the world as it might be, as the terrible things that might happen, as the fears of things that might happen. So the first thing about Thanksgiving, the first thing about Thanksgiving is that it's about being thankful. <laughs> you know? And, and I, know, I know it's distorted. I'm not, I'm not judging this audience. I get some, so many wonderful letters from this audience. I get so many wonderful letters. They outnumber the nasty letters way more than 10 to 1. I mean, maybe 20, 30 to 1. I get wonderful, encouraging letters from people who really enjoy what's happening here and what we're trying to do and the way we're trying to communicate uh, what, what's happening. But I, I do know that people, you know, the, the, media, the media benefits from your anger. And that's true. Social media does it. The news media does it. Even the entertainment media sometimes does it. They benefit from your anger. It is a good business model for them to make you angry and afraid. That is good business for them. And your job, because you're not responsible to the Daily Wire, you're certainly not responsible to CNN, you're not responsible to Donald Trump, you're responsible to the God who made you. He made you with a purpose, he made you to be a certain kind of person, an individual person that he himself planned that you are not yet, that you have not yet become. You cannot become that person in terror, you cannot become that person in anger, you cannot become that person 
looking at what other people are doing that makes you angry, you know? When, when, when Jesus said, judge not, he was just trying to focus your attention on the thing that matters, you, who you are meant to be. And so please, please do not let, do not let politics dominate your Thanksgiving. Do not let rage dominate your Thanksgiving. Do not let bitterness at the past or fear of the future dominate your Thanksgiving. Let Thanksgiving dominate your Thanksgiving, because you will see if you start to think about the things that you have to be thankful for, if you start to think about those things, they they stretch out before you like the promised land stretched out before the pilgrims. They go on and on and on, full of danger, full of mystery, full of fear, but incredibly beautiful. And so that is how you should spend your Thanksgiving instead of cowering in your closet. Amazing, amazing stuff from our news media. So right now, the economy is looking good, but you never can be too careful, and that's why you want to get gold. And here's something new. You know how the price of gold has been skyrocketing lately? There's a new way to buy gold through a company called Acre. Acre lets you subscribe to gold bars for as little as 30 bucks a month. You pay each month, and once your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they discreetly ship Acre Gold to your house. Acre lets you invest in physical gold without coming out of pocket all at once. Acre keeps you updated on your gold stash every month and ships once you reach the price threshold. With Acre, taking physical delivery of your gold means it's safe and sound and in your hands. Visit getacregold.com slash Clavin. That's getacregold.com slash Clavin. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre is giving away a gold bar. Not to everybody, but if you want to qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention getacregold.com slash Clavin. That's getacregold.com slash Clavin. Thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. And thank you for learning how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's. I just make it look this easy. Thanksgiving is almost here, and that means that Black Friday is almost here. And since last year's Black Friday deal, we've been consistently adding more features and products to our membership program. And we are really excited about it. I know this because it's in the copy. So that's how I know. But in fact, I actually am excited about it. Let me name a few things. We've added more exclusive Reader's Pass content. Our insider and above memberships can now uh, stream our content on Apple TV and Roku, which is exciting because of all the new content we're adding. Like, for instance, the Michael Knowles show. Show, which will be a five days, which will now be five days a week, starting Friday, December fourth. And if you get an extra added uh, level of subscription, it's only on four days. Uh, <laughs> Just a joke. Your your account also now comes with custom badges that you can earn by participating in Daily Wire events. If you're an All Access member, you get to join All Access Live. I'll be doing that today at uh, 3 o'clock California time, which I guess is 5 in Nashville. Is that why I'm doing it at 3 o'clock? I guess so. Um, And we we talk to you. It's it's great. I love that show. Uh, You get two leftist tears tumblers, and hopefully you will need them. Uh, Hopefully we'll win both uh, elections runoffs in Uh, Georgia, and so you'll need both Tumblr tiers. Uh, You'll get early access to our Daily Wire merch and daily discussions with our writers and special guests. We're also continuing to add new features and products like the entire PragerU library, which is currently being added to the website. Content from Candace Owens will be launching a new show early next year. Lots of stuff we can't talk about yet, but lots of stuff is coming. So needless to say, we're excited about this year's deal, and you will not want to miss it. The mailbag is coming up. You will not want to miss that either. Mailbag. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I like that. All right. We're going to take, we got a video question uh, that I liked. So we're going to start with that one. Let's begin there. 
Greetings, Lord Clavin. My name is Bryson, and I am from Canada, land of snow, polar bears, and a horrible prime minister. I recently became an all-access member, and once I heard you talk about how the left had turned objectifying women into a bad thing. Now, I had always thought of that as a bad thing, specifically when Jesus said, he who looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery within his own heart. Now, I agree that it's a good thing that men like to look at women, but I'd like you to kind of expand on the good side and the bad side of objectifying women as a man. P.S. I still think Matt Walsh is funnier, but I love your show. Keep up the good work. I look forward to your answer changing my life, hopefully for the better. Uh, first, let me just uh, correct a factual error. Matt Walsh is not funnier. Uh, that, I mean, it's not even, it, that's not even close. And I just, I just want to make sure, you know, we don't want to get uh, thrown off YouTube for spreading misinformation. So I just, I know you've said that, but that's obviously false. Um, okay, objectifying one. What I was saying on the all access was that the feminists had taken a natural human instinct, men's uh, love of looking at beautiful women, um, and they had turned it into a bad thing, objectifying women. I did not say that actually objectifying women was a good thing. I said that it is a good thing if none of us would be here if men didn't like to look at women and men didn't, weren't sexually turned on by women. That is how we all got here. Uh, so I wasn't saying that objectifying women was a good thing. I was saying that the feminists basically were transforming a natural thing uh, into a bad thing. They came up, uh, I was talking about the way they came up with terms to make things sound bad. So for instance, uh, a police officer who uh, knows that a black guy in a neighborhood is suspicious per se, or knows that a black guy dressed in a certain way is suspicious, uh, they call that racial profiling. That's actually should be called police work. Okay, so when what the what the feminists call objectifying women is uh, in fact just being a man, and so that's that's what I was saying that they were demonizing normal, regular, and positive things. Let's talk for a minute though about what Jesus said, which is always uh, the most important thing uh, that he and he indeed said that if you um, look at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery. Uh, if you uh, look at a person with anger, it is the same thing as murder. Now, obviously, we know that's not literally true, right? One of my rules about reading the Gospels is Jesus was not an idiot, right? He was not saying that it's actually, I mean, ask your wife, would you prefer if I look at a woman with lust or if I actually go sleep with her? And you find, you'll find out that that is not the, uh, that is not adultery. It is not the same thing. What Jesus was saying, obviously, it seems to me, this seems to me a fairly uh, obvious interpretation, is that you, even if you do the right things, there is something not right about the way we are. And of course, you know, lust is a, an interesting thing. You look at a woman and you're attracted to her. I don't know if that is categorized as lust because there is such a thing as objectifying women. This is, this is my problem. I mean, the problem is not that, there, that objectifying women is good and the left makes it sound bad. It's that the left makes normal human sexual interactions sound bad by calling them objectifying women. But of course, of course, to use a woman for your pleasure without care uh, is, is objectifying her, to use her as an object to give you pleasure uh, without any kind of um, meaning between you, is that is objectifying a woman. That is a misuse of women. And that's one of the things that feminists have supported. They have supported, t told women, you know, go out and get drunk with men. And if you happen to wake up and there's some guy in your bed, hooray, you know, you're just acting like a man. Isn't that great? Well, you know, no, it's, it's not. I mean, the relations between the sexes are are different from each side. It's different to be a man than it is to be a woman. And that's why men have to have care for women and take care of women. And women have to have care for themselves and understand that there are men who will not do what they're supposed to do. So my, my point in that all access was not that 
uh, objectifying women was good, obviously, it was that they call normal sexual interactions like the joy that men take in looking at beautiful women and the joy that women take in being beautiful, uh, they, they take that and they try and demonize it and make it somehow, as they would say, problematical, when in fact it's one of the great consolations uh, of our tragic lives. It's our love for one another and our, our, our uh, sexual feelings, our erotic feelings, all those things are actually good things. Um, from Katie, and, and Matt Walsh is not funnier than that. Um, from Katie, uh, Clavin of the No East, thanks for a great show. It's one I won't skip when I don't have time for all the Daily Wire shows of the day. Your openings alone are worth it. Uh, most of your listeners appreciate that you won't just tell us whatever we want to hear. Uh, now to my question. I'm curious about the Durham report. That is a really good question. Think, uh, do I think that it will ever see the light of day? Do I think it will matter if it uh, does come out? Uh, do I think my hair would come back if I had just a smidge less brain power? <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Uh, no, my hair is not coming back. Let's just get used to it, all right? Get used to it. Uh, the Durham report. First of all, I, you know, I want to say that uh, Durham is a pretty much universally respected guy. And when one of the reasons they went after Bill Barr, uh, the, the left went after Bill Barr and started to say all this ridiculous stuff about him, was they, they really couldn't lay a glove on Durham. He's worked for all kinds of people on both sides, and he's usually been an honest, uh, he's always been an honest uh, broker of information. And I have no doubt that he is doing uh, serious work on the Durham report. I do have to say that I was disappointed he didn't bring out his report earlier on. I know that prosecutors have to be exceptionally careful. You know, you ever, you ever watch cop shows that cops are always the heroes and the Weasley little DA is saying, well, I don't have enough evidence to take that to court. Well, if you don't have enough evidence to take it to court, there's no point in taking it to court. And that's why these prosecutors take so long to get their cases out there. However, however, we do live in reality. We do live in a political situation. And it is very unlikely uh, that this report will get out there if he waits until uh, Trump is out of office. I mean, the Democrats did a very bad thing and they will uh, squelch the report, I'm pretty sure, if it shows uh, the kinds of things that they did. However, if it does come out, and if it, I, I think, you know, he would be wise to bring it out before January, do I think that there will be criminal charges in it? There may be, but they won't be the kinds of things that you might like to see. James Comey is not going to be perp-walked out. This is my, obviously, I don't know the future. This is my guess on it. This is my take. Uh, James Comey is not going to be perp-walked out. Uh, Barack Obama is not going to be arrested. If anything, you'll see some guys like Peter Strzok, who may have changed documents in order to get uh, illegal FISA warrants. You'll see guys like that, um, uh, you know, who, who may may actually be prosecuted. You know, it would just be good to know. It would be good to know. It was a shameful episode, and it would be good to know who did it. And the uh, in-house guy, Horowitz, who examined it, examined it, you know, he did his job, but his job is not the same thing. And so I really hope the report comes out. It would be nice to know uh, what happened. Uh, you know, now it's going to be lost in the Christmas news flow, but it, it should come out. Obviously, the media, if, if it is as damning as I would think it would be, uh, the media will do everything they can to cover it up. But I think if Durham is wise, he'll bring it out now, because if he doesn't, they will crush it. Um, it says, hello uh, from Andrew, from another Andrew. I get it. Um, he says, my name is Andrew. After watching your conversation about your conversion to Christianity story on YouTube, I wondered if you ever met Gary Carter and told him about how he had an impact on you. Now, this is a story, you know, I always, they made a video, an organization made a video where I talked for about 10 minutes about my 
conversion to Christianity. And I said to them, would you please, you know, plug my book because that has the whole story, The Great Good Thing. And they didn't. So I get a lot of people who see this YouTube video but never read The Great Good Thing. And I wish people would read The Great Good Thing because it tells the story. One of the stories it tells is that really what was the lowest moment of my life, a moment of absolute suicidal despair. As I was contemplating um, offing myself, basically, in my, in my uh, damaged youth, um, I was listening to a Mets game in the background, and Gary Carter, a Christian catcher uh, who I very much admired, uh, came on and he had hit a, I think it was a game-winning single, as I remember, and he beat out the throw to first base, which was amazing because as a catcher, his knees were shot. And somebody said, how did you do that? And one of the things about Carter was that he was always talking about Jesus, and it used to drive me crazy. He would come out and say, oh, praise Jesus, I got a hit, or praise Jesus, this, praise Jesus. And I said, oh, God, I hate that. It just, maybe just made me feel like, made me squirm. And I've always thought if in that moment of despair he had said that, I would have continued to despair, and God only knows uh, what I would have done, whether I would have actually gone through with what I was thinking about. I don't know that. Um, but instead, he said sometimes, his answer was sometimes you just have to play in pain. And the minute I heard that, uh, it really flashed through me. I mean, I really do believe it was God speaking to me uh, through this Christian ball player. And uh, I realized like, oh, yeah, you have to be a tough guy sometimes. Sometimes you have to play in pain. And I am a tough guy and I can do that. And uh, that was the last time I ever considered suicide. And so it was really uh, almost a miraculous moment of, of something happening uh, where, like I said, I think that God was speaking to me. So I never met Gary Carter. Um, and I always wanted to write that story while he was alive and I kept putting it off and I kept putting it off because it was, uh, you know, a very personal story. You know, it was not, not the kind of thing I wanted out there in the press or I wasn't hiding it or anything, but it just, I didn't have the kind of, uh, um, you know, impetus to go out and put it out there when the, all of the, my motivation was actually to hide it. Then he died and he died quite young. Uh, I think he had a, a brain tumor and he died very young. And I was talking to uh, one of my brothers and I said, you know, damn, I always wished I had written that story of how much he meant to me. Uh, and there's not much point of writing it now. And he snapped at me, write it, write it now, just write it, write it, you know? And I said, well, well, he said, no, no, just, you should write that story. So I was in a, um, a hotel room in New York. <laughs> I sat down to write this story. And so help me, I am not, I am not like a hyper emotional guy. I was sobbing. I was just I'd sitting alone in this hotel room, trying to write this story and just sobbing. And uh, it was obviously a very important moment. I got some uh, letters from uh, friends of his um, saying that, yeah, that was, he was really like that. He really was that guy. And he would have loved to hear that story and all that stuff, which is just a reminder to do things when people are alive. I, sh I should have, and I didn't, but it was uh, really obviously, it obviously affected me so much that, um, uh, it obviously affected me so much that I just couldn't bring myself to do it. That's, that's why. Anyway, uh, a great ball player, just an absolute great thing. Read the great good thing. You can hear um, many stories like that. Um, from uh, another one from another Andrew. I believe that marriage is a religious institution between two people and God, and this should be covered under our First Amendment, uh, should be a First Amendment right. It's not for the government to intervene and essentially ruining it by making their own version of marriage, causing gay marriage to be normalized and all that. What do you think? Should this be something the government should be intervening in? How does this not go against the First Amendment? Uh, thanks, love your show and all that you do. Hashtag let wisdom reign, uh, which is from another kingdom. Um, well, you know, n no, I mean, 
marriage is two things. Mar- I, I, look, I believe that God's definition of marriage is a man and a woman coming together in order to create a, a new family. That is what I believe God's definition of marriage is. People can make any definition of marriage they want. And once the state decided that there was such a thing as no-fault divorce, marriage, state marriage, was no longer a sacrament, and I had absolutely no problem with gay people getting married. Uh, if, you, if, if your marriage can be ended with a no-fault divorce, it's not what God thinks marriage is. We know this from reading the Bible. It is, that is not what God thinks marriage is. So if that's what a state marriage is, why shouldn't gay people have a state marriage as well? That's a state marriage. If you want a religious marriage, and listen, you can find some religion that'll tell you anything you want to hear, uh, but if you want a re- religious marriage that is a- actual marriage, as the Bible sort of says is, is marriage, um, I think that that is a, a certain thing, and you know you should go to the people who basically affirm that that that's what marriage is. I listen. I I've worked with, loved, befriended gay people all my life. I'm an artist. Without gay people, I wouldn't have been able to make a living. Uh, and I believe that they should be allowed unmolested to have their their love and their life. But it, we're really only talking, as we are with transgenderism, we're really only talking about the definition of words. That's all we're talking about. When people say men or women, what they're saying is these words are going to mean whatever we want them to mean instead of what they mean. And so there's a religious definition of marriage and churches are should basically look to that and should not be affected by what the state says marriage is. But marriage is also a legal estate and was in Jesus's time too. Jesus was talking to a lot of people who had more than one wife. Uh, he was talking to all kinds of people who had all kinds of different marital relationships. Uh, he did not ever say you should only marry one woman. He never said that. Um, and there, you know, so there's, there's a lot of room for blessing all kinds of marriage, but Nobody at that time would have thought that marriage was anything but uh, a relationship between a man and a woman. And that, of course, is at the core of human creativity and human life and human reproduction. Gay people will tell you the same thing. They will tell you. That's why Dave Rubin always says, I'm gay married. He says, I'm gay married. And, you know, I'm, I'm down with that. That's fine. But no, there is a, a religious point to marriage and there's a state point to marriage. And you can go to a justice of the peace and get married. And the state, uh, you know, that's fine. The state will recognize that. But it's another question whether God will. And that's something you have to decide for yourself through prayer, through reading the Bible, uh, and through informing yourself. And I have to stop there. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Do not forget to be thankful. Gather with your friends. When you're stuffing the turkey, just imagine your favorite newsman is there and you're ramming that stuff into his face. And then eat and be happy. Uh, I will see you next Monday. The Clavenless weekend then begins and uh, you're doomed. But if you survive, I will be back on Monday with The Andrew Claven Show. I am Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. 
Joe Biden promises amnesty for 11 million illegal aliens. The media deny that Biden's cabinet will be political. And half the country doesn't plan to take the coronavirus vaccine. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.